Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Gosh, that almost fills the soul up, doesn't it? Hey, you know, there's a little lesson in that. Singing hallelujah fills the soul. Always and forever. It fills, it heals, it strengthens your soul. What a great time to gather for worship. I, every Sunday, just so blessed by our worship arts ministry leading us, aren't you? And uh, man, on this particular Sunday, we're, we're not done right here. Uh, actually, tonight, y'all remember, I've been sharing this with you. We'll be hosting the SBC of Virginia. There's going to be hundreds of pastors from around Virginia that will be here for an event that starts tonight. It goes all the way through tomorrow and into, into Tuesday. It's, it's a great gathering. You're welcome to any of it to come sit in and learn. But uh, particularly tonight, I wish I could make you be here. I really do. I mean, like, literally, I wish I had something. You had no choice, no matter how tired you are, no matter what the score is. Let's go back up there. And you would thank me for making you. Tonight is going to be just a a phenomenal time of of worship, of preaching. If you're interested in what what is the SBCV, you say that like we all know. You you come tonight, you'll learn a little bit about that. But we're going to have a great time. Not only are we going to have all of the choir and orchestra just heard, but there's going to be another church joining us uh, up there. I believe Great Bridge Baptist. Isn't that it, Dale? Oh, ah! Gosh! You're scary when I look down at you. But yeah, be another church up here. It's going to be j- just phenomenal. So want to encourage you to be back here tonight. And it starts at, because I know, 610. Six, Whose idea was that? Okay, 6 o'clock, 6.10. Y'all be here tonight for that. You know, thinking of our, our worship arts ministry, we have uh, kicked off, of course, our Christmas season. We have our Christmas program in about a month, a month from this weekend. And uh, if you're like me, you know you're in the holiday season. You know it's, it's here. But you're not thinking today about what you're doing December 9, 10, something like that. You want to start thinking about that. Uh, we have 35 tickets left for one production, uh, around 100 for another, a little bit more for a, a third. They're going to be gone, and they're going to be they're going to be gone real probably very soon. So I really want to encourage you to to use that to worship, to celebrate the season, maybe to reach out to some people around you, uh, get them some tickets, and and give that as a gift. All of it. All of Saturday? Saturday matinee. Saturday matinee. Don't say, you know we've got two. <laughs> just said all of Saturday sold out. But Saturday matinee is, is sold out. So uh, get, get those as soon as possible. Make sure you can take advantage of that. Well, folks, as, as I've already con- said, we, we've got the SBC of Virginia uh, here we're hosting tonight. And uh, it was li- literally a year ago at this time that I, I saw what was going to be going on this week and who the speakers were. And I saw Hans Stilbeck. And uh, it took me about five seconds, I think, to get a hold of him and said, uh, hey, Hans, if you're not going to speak at our church without speaking to our church. I could care less if he speaks to the SBC of Virginia, but, but he's not going to be here and not speak to us. So I said, you, you've got to come and be with us that morning. I'm so excited 
uh, to be able to have him. Hans Stilbeck is the president of Guidestone Financial Resources. That might sound like a strange name to be president of and be preaching here today. He'll explain a little bit about that in a moment. But uh, he is, is I, I was on the board of trustees for a number of years with uh, Guidestone and got the blessing of being a part of a, of the transition. We had a, a prior president who had been with us over 20 years and just did a phenomenal job in, in how he grew that. And, uh, you know, you start to wonder who can follow that when, when somebody's done that well. And Hans came on and I, I had a, a chance there for a couple of years to, to just see godliness and humility and tremendous leadership uh, as he took the helm of that. And he's one of these guys that when you look at his resume, you think, how, how old is he? How did he do all that? Uh, he has served in small churches, in large churches. He served in some of our statewide mission agencies, our national wide mission agencies. Uh, I mean, he literally has served in just about every capacity. And somebody we can be so proud of and blessed by to be a part of the SBC. So I'm really excited to have him here. And he's, he's got his wife, Julie, and uh, along with him, an, another couple, David and Stacy Puckett, also with Guidestone. I want to have all four of them stand up and uh, face you. And y'all welcome them to our church today. <laughs> David and uh, we actually, Karen and I served on the board of trustees with David and Stacy. And when they got finished, they, they hired him. When I finished, they said, thank you. And uh, so that was about the end of that. So Hans, come on up here. So uh, Guidestone has, has a ministry under it called Mission Dignity. And I've told you about that. I, I won't go into it a whole bunch more. You can Google Guidestone. You can Google Mission Dignity. Their ministry primarily is to serve uh, retired missionaries and pastors that have reached the finish line really to no fault of their own in a state of poverty. And uh, Mission Dignity helps out these retired pastors and missionaries, their widows. And uh, over the years, as I got to be on Guidestone Hands, I, I told our church about Mission Dignity, and we've done some gifts and everything. But I told them three weeks ago, I said, hey, that, that dude's going to be here. And uh, wouldn't it be cool if we just really prayed about it and, and gave a special gift and handed it? to him that day. And honestly, Hans, I know, and I guess a lot of pastors say this, I feel sorry that they're mostly lying. I feel so blessed to serve the best church in America. I'm so proud of them, their, their mission, what they do in missions, what they do in the field, their heart of worship that you just got to be a part of, but their heart for God's heart for the poor. So just three Sundays ago, I said, hey, would you, y'all want to take up a gift for this? And they did. And uh, I've got it here. The last three weeks, y'all gave $72,650 to, to caring for these. So Thank let you, me man. give you that. Love you, Love you too. And uh, y'all welcome Hans. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> Thank you for that. That's impressive. We appreciate that. Uh, you know, Guidestone was founded over 100 years ago as the Relief and Annuity Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, and Mission Dignity is still that relief part of what we do. Last year, we helped 2,800 uh, individuals, uh, pastors and their wives, other church workers, mostly pastors' widows are who we help. 
uh, who uh, are at retirement years and and they're living at or below poverty level. And uh, we distributed about $10 million last year. And uh, it comes through generous giving like you. We got no other source of funding. And so we appreciate that. Uh, our, uh, you know, very quickly we realized, let's get on the other side of this and try to help churches take care of their pastor and their church workers' uh, retirement needs so that they don't find themselves in poverty when they get into the retirement years. And so that's a lot of what we do. We serve uh, about 250,000 individuals. And we serve uh, like the International Mission Board and Christian universities, but mostly we serve pastors and, uh, and local churches. And we serve you. We help, we help you take care of, of your staff, and we are honored to have the opportunity to do that. We believe the Bible teaches us when God calls someone to be a minister of the gospel, he calls them to finish, to persevere. And in order to finish, to persevere, then uh, he has to take care of himself and take care of his family, relationships and emotions, physical health, and financial health. And so helping those pastors and missionaries, helping the churches and ministries they serve, take care of the financial needs, especially needs preparing for, planning for retirement, is what Guidestone does. And uh, we're happy and honored to have that role. And if you say amen, I'll stop talking about Guidestone. We'll open up God's Word. Amen. You were a little too quick to amen on that. I want to preach a text to you in the book of Titus in the New Testament. You know, there's a lot going on, as Randy said. We've got, you know, we've got this uh, state meeting tonight, and it's Veterans Day, and the holidays are, are, are coming on board, and you've just given this generous mission dignity gift. And as I prayed about, you know, with all that swirling, what should I preach? Uh, I, I called Randy and said, you know what I'd like to do is just preach the gospel. And, and he said, that sounds good to me. And so what I want to share with you from Titus chapter 3 is a beautiful text. You might not remember anything I say this morning, but I hope you'll remember this scripture text. Because it is one of the most concise but clear and complete uh, descriptions of the good news of Jesus Christ that we find anywhere in scripture. If you want to know what is the essence of what Christians believe. This little paragraph we're going to read today is a great place to start. We're looking at Titus chapter 3. And it really shares for us the gospel story. As Randy said, uh, I'm, I'm really an Oklahoma guy. I, I was a pastor in Oklahoma for 30 years. M- most of our work, uh, Julie and I spent, I was pastor of a church a lot like this. You, you really reminded me of the church that I spent my life serving. And uh, then two years ago, uh, uh, the Lord called us to come and take this ministry at Guidestone. And, and, uh, and it was, we loved everything about it except we had to move to Texas. <laughs> it was kind of hard for an Oklahoma guy. And, and so I thought, well, I better read up, I better read up on, uh, on Texas. And I'd, one of the things I read was about uh, one of the most famous politicians from Texas was a, was a man named Sam Rayburn. <laughs> You may maybe have forgotten who Sam Rayburn was, but Sam Rayburn came to the United States Congress from a small town north of Dallas in 1913, and he served in Congress until 1961. 
he was a political powerhouse. He was Speaker of the House three different times when his party was uh, in control. And uh, everybody knew who Sam Rayburn was, and everybody in D.C. had to kiss his ring. He was a powerful political figure. But when he was 74 years old, just five years before he died, Sam Rayburn had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. Uh, The most powerful politician, maybe more than just two or three of them. But he, he came to Christ as Savior. And he stood up and professed publicly his faith in a small little Baptist church in Tioga, Texas. About 40 people were there. And uh, that it, it was such a big deal, the local newspaper covered the story. And let me just read to you from the local newspaper. It says that, that, uh, that the, the lay preacher, who was a grocer during the week and served the church on the weekends, at the end of the service asked if anybody wanted to profess faith in Christ, and up stands a speaker of the house. And then the paper said, Then, wearing socks, trousers, and a white shirt, the speaker of the house was completely immersed for a moment in a portable baptistry before, immer- before he emerged dripping wet to hear himself baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And the congregation of about 40 people broke into song. And the paper says, here's what they sang. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. That's good news, isn't it? Sam Rayburn had a story. I've got a good friend in Dallas who is a very active personal witness. He's always talking to people about Jesus, his neighbors, the waitress, almost everybody encounters. And he's got a tactic he uses. He loves to ask people, what's your story? Tell me your story. And he shared with me, you know, if somebody answers that question, if they tell you their story and they tell you their story and they don't ever mention Jesus, you got a pretty good idea that they need Jesus. But what's your story? How would you tell your story? One of the ways to understand the text we're about to read, Titus chapter 3, is it really gives us an outline and understanding of the basic gospel story, what it is that God does for us in Christ Jesus. And, and uh, I want to help you to understand that story. But first, let's read the text. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through verse 7. I told your crew that I'd be reading out of the New American Standard which I usually preach out of. But uh, I'm doing my quiet time this year out of the Christian Standard Bible, and, so, and two, two Bibles wouldn't fit in my suitcase. So, <laughs> so I'm going to read it. My translation will read just a little bit, bit different than what you have on the screen, but it'd actually be helpful to you. You follow along as I read Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through verse 7. Wait, push pause. I got so excited about preaching, I, I, need, to, I need to make sure and say this. Uh, I love your pastor. Yeah. The, uh, and, and Julie and I and the Puckets are, have so looked forward to spending this time with Randy and Karen. And, um, you, you know, he, he really didn't call and invite me to preach. He called and told me to come preach. <laughs> because he, he's, he's a trustee. That means he's my boss. 
And uh, not only was he a, a trustee for Guidestone for eight years, but he was a very important leader for us. Our, our group, uh, you know, we manage $20 billion. We serve a quarter of a million people. It's a complex enterprise, and we need oversight. And, and uh, Randy uh, had Sahar a pastor, but a mind to understand what we do, that was bad. I just said that like most pastors don't have a mind. <laughs> he, he was such a valuable trustee for us, and we, we honor and appreciate him. You have, you have a great pastor, and we're grateful for his service to, uh, to Guidestone. Now, let's, let's read the text. Think about your story. For we, too, were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that have been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Every good story has a beginning and a middle and an end, right? You ever listen to a story, you think, Where's, there's got to be an end to this story somewhere, right? Every good story has a beginning and a middle, a transition, a turning point, and an end. And this little paragraph of Scripture can kind of be hard to understand, but think of it this way. Our beginning, our middle, our turning point, and our end. They're all beautifully laid out here. First of all, let's look at the beginning of our story. Bound by sin. Look at verse 3. For we to ourselves. Does that include you? We would be you and me, wouldn't it? Uh, Paul is reminding Timothy that all every member of the body, every person he meets, all of us have the same beginning. We too ourselves once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. Paul here is teaching us the great Bible truth of the life and the character of every man or woman born a girl on the planet bound by sin. Notice the progression of the language here, or maybe the digression of sin. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. Isn't that how sin works? Oh, first, first it's, a little, we, it's a little foolishness. We're in control of it. We're doing things we shouldn't do, but would you, everybody's, everybody has a little foolishness. Foolish, but disobedient, a little more intentional, deceived, enslaved. It reminds us of Samson's life. So blessed by God, so strong and powerful, so much potential, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. He's blind and bound and grinding for the enemy. That's what sin does to us. And Paul here teaches us that that story of sin is not just a story of someone like Samson. It's a story of you or me. We ourselves also. It's every man's story. We look around us and we say, 
This old world is broken, don't we? This world is broken. But it's important that we make the connection to, st- to declare not only is this world broken, but I'm broken by sin. And there's a truth in which we cannot come to a personal faith in Christ until we recognize our desperate starting place. We also once ourselves were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. Is that true for you? Do you remember Jesus told the story of a son who was foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved? You remember that? A son that was so selfish and consumed by sin that he could not wait for his father to die. He said, he said, Father, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to live under your authority anymore. I want to do it my way. And so the father graciously gave him his inheritance. And in the parable Jesus tells, this foolish, disobedient, deceived son goes into the far country, away from his father, and spends the father's inheritance in riotous living until he finds himself slopping the hogs as a servant. You remember that? Until, Jesus says, he came to his senses and went back to the Father. Do you know, in the language of that parable in the Gospels, the text doesn't actually say he came to his senses. You know what it says? And then he came to himself. And part of what Jesus is teaching us there is that you can't come to Christ until you come to yourself. You can't see God for who he is in all of his glory until you see yourself honestly in all of your need and depravity. We also once ourselves were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. Do you think that's true? Listen, some of you may be You're not a follower of Christ. You've never had a life-changing encounter with Christ. You're here in church and you're looking around and you're thinking, maybe I don't belong here. Maybe I don't have anything to do with these people. Let me tell you something about these people. About every member of this church, there was a time in their life when they were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by sin. Is that true? Hey, listen, Christian, if you've been a follower of Christ for two years or 20 years or 50 years, don't you ever forget that. Because the day that you forget that you also once yourself were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by sin, then you'll turn into the older brother. You forget your beginning, right? Nobody wants to be around someone that forgot where they came from, forgot their beginning. And this is our beginning. Well, let's look, at this, let's look at Acts 2. If that's our beginning, let's look at the turning point, the middle, the transition point. The beginning, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by sin. Verse 4 turns the corner. But. Isn't that a great word? L- listen, if it wasn't for the grace of God, the first act would be the end of the story. But he didn't leave us there, did he? But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he 
saved us. Not by works of righteousness which we had done, but according to his mercy. As I study this text, and even as I read it to you this morning, the part we like the best is that part where he says, he saved us. We like that, don't we? That's the part you said amen to, partly because it's the only part you understand. (laughs) Right? And and, and listen, I think Paul crafts, Paul is doing this on purpose. He's he's given us this very condensed, concise statement. There's so much going on here. In fact, if we could read this language in the original language, the Greek language, if we could read verse 4 through 7, we discover it's it's a 59-word sentence. With a lot of clauses. And you remember how your, science, your, your English teacher used to make you diagram a sentence? It would, it would take three pages to diagram the sentence. That's why it's so hard to understand. But there's one part that is crystal clear, right? He saved us. And that's the gospel. That's the essence of the gospel. He saved us. In fact, there's only one verb here in this long sentence... That is first person plural. Now, one, one, one thing that we do. And, and here's the first person plural verb. Not we did. We did not. We didn't save ourselves. It's not about what we did. But look at the text. It's about his kindness. And his love. And his mercy. And his grace. He saved us. And you don't have a gospel story if the turning point of your story is not this. He saved me. That's what I want everybody in this room to be able to say. When I graduated from seminary, a small church way out in western Oklahoma, almost the panhandle of Texas, called me to be their pastor. little community of about a thousand people and and uh, we were young we were in our middle 20s and uh, and I'd just been there a few months and I went to the kind of meeting that you're going to host tonight the state meeting for Oklahoma and at that meeting I met a man who had been the pastor of that church 30 years earlier he was an old preacher and he got a kick out of meeting me and and very quickly he said to me now one of your deacons used to be mean as a snake it's an encouraging thing to say to a young pastor. <laughs> well, I started, my mind started racing because I only had three deacons, <laughs> right? And uh, I said, well, which, which one? He said, Bill Ramsey. I said, Bill Ramsey? B- Bill was the nicest, most gentle Christian man I'd ever been around. His wife was named Dovey. And Bill and Duffy were just this sweet Christian couple. I said, Bill Ramsey? He said, oh, yeah, he was, he'd get in fist fights at his kids' baseball games and he'd cuss at his wife in public. Nobody, everybody was scared of her. Nobody wanted to be around him. He was just mean. I said, Bill? He said, yeah. And then I stepped in his trap. I said, well, what happened? And the preacher's name was J.V. Lowball. J.V. said, he looked at me like, son, didn't they teach you anything at seminary? <laughs> he said, 
he got saved. And I, I used to think he got saved was just the way Hicks in Oklahoma say it, that it was just kind of an old-fashioned, backwoods way to talk about the, the work of God in our life in Christ Jesus. But it's pretty New Testament, isn't it? But he saved me. That's the essence of the gospel. It's the heart of what Paul is saying here. And, and, and the gospel story is this story. I was bound by sin without any hope. But he saved me. That's strong language, isn't it? In fact, you notice the text calls God our Savior. And it calls Jesus Christ our Savior. And he saved me says a lot about him and something about us too, doesn't it? We didn't need a teacher. We didn't just need a healer. We didn't need an educator or a leader. We needed outside intervention. We needed a dramatic rescue. He saved us. That's the gospel. And your gospel story must be a story that starts with your sin but turns on the moment when Jesus saved you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, I want you to notice, I want you to notice a beautiful word at the end of verse 4 and then we'll move on because we're approaching Christmas here. Look at the last word in verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. You see that? Appeared. Let me, I'll say it in Greek and you'll recognize it. Epiphania. You recognize the word epiphany? An epiphany is like a light bulb coming on. It's really a word that describes a bright light that shines in the darkness. Why? Who wrote Titus? Paul. Why would Paul describe God's saving intervention in our life in the person of Jesus Christ as his appearing? That bright light that shines in the darkness. It's because Paul never got over his own story, his own testimony, did he? He tells it three times in the book of Acts. He, he was disobedient, deceived, enslaved by sin. He was hateful, hating one another. And he was on the road to Damascus to persecute some more Christians. Do you remember that? When God in his grace intervened. And in a bright, brilliant light, the risen Lord Jesus appeared in Saul of Tarsus' darkness and saved him. The appearing. He saved me. And that's just what he does for you and I as well. That's the middle. That's the turning point. Now let's look at the ending. And by ending, I'm talking about our present standing in Christ. Since he saved us, then what does it mean for us today? Another way to say it would be, what do you mean when you say Jesus saved you? What does he do when he saves us? Well, let me, make, let, let me simplify it, then we'll read in the text. He makes us new. He makes us right. He makes us his. That's what it means to be saved. Look at the last part of verse 5. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, grammatically, that's all one thing. It's a mouthful, but it's all one action. What's God do when he saves us? Through the power of the Holy Spirit within He washes us clean 
and makes us brand new. Renewal and regeneration through the Holy Spirit. To be saved is to be changed. It's to be made new. Use the word of Jesus. It is to be born again. And that's what Paul is saying here. And listen, that's a promise as old as Ezekiel. Remember, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel was God's prophet to his people in exile. And one of the things that Ezekiel says to the people of God is, listen, I've given you rules, but you can't follow them. I've shown you the way, but you won't walk in it. you got a heart problem. And so Ezekiel said, one day the Messiah is going to come. And when the Messiah comes, you know what he's going to do? He's going to take out that old heart of stone And he's going to put in a heart of flesh and you'll all know me and you'll be able to walk in my way. So when John the baptizer identified Jesus as that Messiah promised, he said, behold, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember John said, I'm baptizing you with water, but you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what he was saying is he's going to keep Ezekiel's promise. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit who will wash you clean and change your heart, cause you to be born again from the inside out. Have you had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ? That's what it means to be saved. He makes us new. He changes us. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. You've heard of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Remember, John Newton was a slave boat captain before he got saved and became a pastor. John Newton, one time late in his life, famously said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But still, I am not what I used to be. And that's the testimony of every Christian. I'm not what I used to be. He saved me. He made me new. He made me right. You see verse 7? So that having been justified by His grace. There's a certainty in that language, isn't it? Not I hope to be, but having been justified by his grace. Now what I did, but what he did, you understand the word justified is legal language. I was all wrong before the judge, but now I'm right with the judge. That's what justified means. Because he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He makes us right by His grace. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what you mean when you say, He saved me. He made me new. He made me right. And finally, He made me His. Look at verse 7 again. The very last phrase. We may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Now, when we hear the phrase hope of eternal life, we think of heaven. And we ought to think of heaven. That's a part of the promise here. 
eternal life. Part of what we mean when we say he saved us is he gives us life everlasting, the hope of heaven. But you know that when the Bible promises eternal life in Christ Jesus, it's not just saying we'll live forever and ever. It's saying you have a new kind of life right now. He's given you life. And really the heart of that last promise is not just the hope of heaven, but it's bound up in that word heirs. He made us to be heirs. That's a great promise. He made us new. He made us right. He made us his. The reason I have confidence that one day I'm going to go to heaven is because I belong to him. He's my Abba Father through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I used to be a stranger and an orphan, but now I'm his son, his daughter. We stand in him as his people, his heirs. That's a glorious hope that we have. So listen. If you ask one of my sons, we raised three sons. If you ask one of my sons, who's Roger Staubach? They would say, well, he's the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. But they don't know him the way I know him, right? I, I, I watched him play. I know him at a whole deeper level, right? I know, I, I remember when he was the man. And in a kind of a similar way, some of you say, well, I got saved. I got saved last year. I got saved 20 years ago. And you don't even know what you're saying. When you say, he saved me, you're saying, I was foolish, disobedient, Deceived, enslaved by sin, but he saved me. Let me tell you what I mean by that. He made me new. He made me right. And he made me his. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that not a person here would leave unless this gospel story is your story. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Father, we give you thanks for the truth of your word, for the depth and the riches, the beauty and the glory of this gospel story. And Father, we confess that you could have left us alone right there in our sin, foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved, For all we deserve, that should be the end of the story. But by your mercy and grace, your faithfulness and love, you intervened on our behalf through your son Jesus, through his death on the cross and resurrection, and you saved us. And we rejoice in your saving power. Father, I pray that as we leave here today, Everyone here who knows Christ would rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would be free and quick to tell the story, the gospel story, our story. And Father, I pray that not a single person here would leave without this testimony. I pray that not a single person would leave here today having heard this clear and simple gospel presentation 
that no one would leave here and their head hit the pillow tonight and not be able to say, praise Jesus, he saved me. He saved me. That can be your story today. We love you, Lord, and thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Aren't y'all grateful for Hans and the Lord using him today? Hans, I know somebody that that knows Roger Stahlback pretty well. My wife, Karen, went to church with him every Sunday. And uh, you might know where he went. No, you wouldn't know where he went to church because you're from Oklahoma. I understand there's a natural deficiency there. So, you know, he starts falling like that. I mean, mean, you have to be from Texas and Oklahoma to understand that uh, Red River rivalry. But... uh, Hey, I, I don't know about y'all, it was 41 years ago that I, I saw the light. 41 years ago. I would imagine for a lot of you, you know, it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 17 years ago, somewhere like that. Isn't it always a blessing, though, when you've received the gospel? It's always a blessing to hear it. It always quickens the heart and, and freshens that love that we have for our God and Savior. Always so good to hear the gospel. But I will also know there's probably some of you in here right now that You've not yet seen that light. You're, you're traveling down the road of life, and that, that epiphany has not yet happened. May, maybe right now it just happened for you. And boy, I really want to encourage you to take a step of faith. Take a step of faith and communicate that it's happened for you. If you're not sure, I think I want it to happen to me. How do I do that? I, what, what needs to happen now? I want to encourage as we conclude our service here and go out these doors right in the middle of our concourse, there's a desk right above it. It says next steps. And I promise, promise, promise you that's your next step right now. Just go out there and say, you, whatever you say, I think they'll figure it out. You can say, I want to see the light. <laughs> I want to know Jesus. I have some questions. There are folks there ready to talk with you and help you work through that. I promise you, just take a few moments, and they'll be the most significant moments of your eternity. Take that step of faith and receive the gospel, the grace of God in your life. Maybe you have questions about following the Lord and believer's baptism or becoming a member here at the Heights. You can go to that same desk, and they'll help you with those questions. Uh, Karen, would you take uh, them out there? Real quickly, David and Stacy, again, David works with Guidestone and Hanson, Julie uh, uh, will all be out there. If y'all have questions or want to know a little bit more about their work and ministry or just want to say thank you, they'll be out there for a moment. Uh, but just for a moment, I got, I got to go feed them and then get them back here in time for tonight. But uh, they'll be out there. I hope you'll go by and say hello. Next week, we will wrap up Genesis. Praise the Lord, it's still there for us every single day. But as far as a sermon series, I will be finishing uh, Genesis next week as we start into our Thanksgiving week. And it Boy, I tell you what, it fits perfectly. Genesis 50 fits perfectly for your Thanksgiving, whatever kind of year uh, that you have. I hope you'll be back for that. And boy, please join us tonight. Remember, I'm making you be there, okay? Thank you, guys. Love you. Have a great day.